Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Mezcal, the show of Mexico architecture, so much more. Some months ago, this is in mid-August, I had a Mezcal tasting at the house, as I do from time to time, as I've mentioned in some of the intros to the podcast, but we had Alejandro Champion, one of the founders of Union Mezcal in the house. It wasn't even a tasting for his brand, mind you. He wanted to hang out with the community here in Austin where we're sipping Mezcal. And, you know, I nixtamalized a bunch of corn, had ground it, we went fresh tortillas and do tacos for the group. And he sat in the kitchen with us, pounded out making tortillas, man, on the comal. And if you need any other indicator of someone that's cool that can hang, you know, you think these people that start these big, massive brands, you know, affiliated with Diageo and everything, that they're just out of touch or they're not down to earth. Nah, he was in there busting his ass in the kitchen with everybody else and i love that and thanks to tom kerner for making that happen stopping by drinking some mezcal with me so we talk about a lot of different things really interesting guy artist at his inner core so without further ado i hope you guys enjoy this great chat with alejandro champion from union mezcal well um I think human beings, as part of nature, yeah. we're all creatives. We have creativity within us. Right. And I think creativity is just part of what art is. So mm-hmm. life in general, I see it as a piece of art. Right. Everything that we see, feel, breathe, it's art in my personal way of seeing things. Mm-hmm. But I grew up, uh, my, my dad, he's an architect. Oh, okay. He's an architect, so growing up, I would look at him sketch, and that was sort of like the way he played with me. Yeah, It was about, look, let's draw your grandmother, and he would do a portrait of, of my grandma. Uh-huh. Or if, if we look at in the street and there was a car that we both liked, he would try to draw it, and he would try to, me to make me draw it. So my mom was has also been very close to art, what does um, she do? My mom doesn't have a career per se, uh-huh. but she painted and draw throughout all her life. My grandmother on my mom's side is a painter too. Also runs through both just, sides. Just a, a, as hobby. None of them professionally. But, right, but they, they like it. it. They like it. It flows from within them. It flows yeah. from within yeah. them. It's something that growing up we saw uh, from both my parents, my grandmother, so for me, art has always been some sort of language that I feel connected to. I sort of understand it. Mm. Not that I understand a, a specific current of art or right, I'm right, specialist, right. But a specialist in it, but I do see in art something that inspires me, that talks to me, that mm. it stimulates uh, the way I feel. It can change my mood. Yes, yes. Um, and I've felt this from a very early age. Uh, looking at the aesthetics in in everything i was gonna ask you yeah because art is everywhere it's abundant as you as you said 
but many different mediums of art. So exactly. we were talking film earlier, but going to music or going to architecture, what, what is maybe your favorite medium of art? I think uh, what I'm the most interested and in, I've been the most involved is contemporary art. Oh, okay, very yes. good. So contemporary art, which would be art from the 1960s to the present uh -huh. moment, right? That would be the current of contemporary yeah, art. That's right. That's what I felt the most connected to. Obviously, I'm from 1982. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So contemporary art is definitely something that is happening in the now. Yes. And I think the way contemporary art has manifested throughout the recent past years, uh, it's just like absolutely interesting you yeah. know like so many different media from it can be anything it right. can be a performance it can be sculpture it can be photography it can be film it can be acrylics it can be poetry right. it can be it, like it, so many it's, different it's open it's yeah. open, it's it's open and you can mix media and you can do all sort of things but at the end of the day contemporary art is a thermometer of what's happening in the current now that's a beautiful way to here play. and now yeah right do you, do you someone throw out a couple names this is not name dropping because i don't know these people right but, yeah so i love cindy sherman you know cindy sherman i i i don't know her but uh, uh, yes you know mostly fo photographs and stuff of her actually if you think of it, it's really strange and, and potentially we'll look at more of her stuff when we stop recording but she was the first one of the first doing kind of selfies and shit but we're talking in the 60s and the 70s and so it was just that kind of that medium itself but, all right let's see so is Jackson Pollock, of course. Jackson Pollock, por supuesto. So though Jackson Pollock is part of the Abex painter, uh -huh. the abstract expressionist, yeah, yeah, uh, which uh, came out uh, around the 1950s, 1960s. The Coonies too, right? Is, um, is he one of them? I think because uh, I was thinking like Cy Twombly's earlier, yes. uh, Kandinsky's earlier, Kandinsky's yeah. a little bit, uh, yeah. I mean, all those artists for me are very relevant because I, I studied architecture. So th during architectural school, you go through the Bauhaus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, so for instance, Joseph Albers, uh -huh. I'm a big admirer of, of him. Uh, he was actually very well inspired in Mexico. He mm. would go to the indigenous ruins, uh, Chichen Itza, mm -hmm. um, Monte Albán. He went to Teotihuacán. Mm -hmm. And he's got this series of art paintings called Homage to the Square uh, that he started at, at the Bauhaus. And then when the Nazis came, they, he, he came to to the United States to continue giving his his classes. Yeah. But a lot of his work is inspired from, from Mexico. Yeah. Indigenous pre-Hispanic culture. It's it's a this is the thing. So I can I can just I can feel it, right? I can tell that you love art, you consume it, that it, it thrives, you have an appetite for it. So going back to studying architecture, right? Yes. Now, talked to lots of people over the years, hundreds of people, a couple of people that were very notable, their fathers were distillers, or they passed the business down and all this. Any expectation from dad that you're going to be a very successful following his footsteps architect? You know, uh, once again, like growing up and, and having the opportunity to see my dad draw, all the time mm -hmm. like my dad always has a pencil or a pen a napkin and he's sketching every day of his life yeah you will see him like if he's got five minutes doing nothing he, he's, he will just doodle around with a piece of paper mm -hmm. but he he taught me how to draw uh perspective perspectiva oh, okay. okay dos puntos de fuga uh -huh. 
So when you, like an architect, when you want to sort of visualize on paper something that you're imagining, like a building yeah. or a space, right. you use perspectiva, dos puntos de fuga. It's a technique. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he, at a very early age, he taught me how to do that, to draw on perspective, oh, three-dimensional. Cool. So I could feel in my hand that I sort of had the same... When, when you see someone that, that naturally likes to paint or draw, yeah. and you look at how they hold the pen and how it just flows mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from the, like, fruit, like it really flows naturally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could feel it. I, I could see it on other hands, on my dad's hands, uh -huh. on my grandmother's hands, and I could see it that I had some sort of facility yeah. to, to follow through with my hand and try to, like, plasm what i was thinking in my mind like i could see it on a piece of paper while like i was drawing like instinct like an instinct yeah, uh, yeah. not that i'm super good no, at it or whatever but, it, but it's, it's but about it, your connection to it but i, I yeah. it's just something that i happen to have that gift from life i i, I, cool. I like I, I draw you know so my dad was like i think you could be a really good architect ah, okay. um, and obviously you always look after in most cases, uh, you look after your dad, your mm -hmm. mom, like it's people that you admire. Um, fortunately, in my case, I do admire very much my par parents and I wanted to be like him. So I said, yeah, I think architecture is a could be a, a good career for me. My dad always told me, you know, architecture is not necessarily about being an architect, but architecture is going to allow you to, to grasp a lot of culture from your mm. country, from mm. other countries. And you're going to get a sense of what the world is and what's going on. And and it's just a window for you to to understand the world. So wow. go go for it. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you don't end up being an architect, it's going to give you tons of skills and, and information that is going to be valuable. Yeah, you're not. There's no trip I think you can take in the world, travel anywhere, that would be completely pointless. You know what I mean? Yes. There's no like even places that I don't necessarily want to go. Some maybe some places like in deep of Alabama or something. No offense, Stephen Robbins didn't look at Tom, but but that doesn't like particularly interest me. But I'll go, and it will always be something that's valuable, even if you don't enjoy yourself. And I I like that you're, but because I have music as that same kind of lens, or movies as that lens. I don't. I'm not much of a reader, but I can now understand architecture being that lens, and so talking about all the architecture that still kind of remains from classic structures, whether it's Rome or Greece. Do you have a favorite style? Yes. I think in architecture, modern architecture, which again, it's, uh, I would say the Bauhaus for me, is like the, this one era within, um, visual arts, architecture design that is, that has stuck to me and still prevails today. Cause when you look at the Bauhaus in Weimar in Germany, mm -hmm. Like the way the windows were composed, the aesthetics, the colors, um, and you look at contemporary architecture nowadays, it's very similar. It's like things that were being built in Europe in the 20s, uh, throughout the 50s, 60s in Mexico and other parts of Europe, that, that aesthetic per se is the one that I feel the most attached to, mm, interesting. which is considered... Uh, Arquitectura moderna. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so that from twenties to sixties, I would say that's the one that I really that I enjoy enjoy the most. But I mean, architecture 
every like every day there's something new like one of my favorite cities in the world is london for instance oh same same because you're walking around london and you see these buildings that have been there for hundreds of years but right next to a renzo piano right mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. skyscraper and it's like the mix between the old and the new so i mean it's it's definitely modern architecture if i have to say if i had to choose one yeah. one period in time in history it would be that era there there was something that i heard here recently you know i've been at apple a long time so when you talk about design you know i've been in the thick of it since since i was in my mid or shit early 20s i've been there that long but there was something that steve Jobs said one time because microsoft at the time i think they were coming out with a new new operating system or something like that and they wanted to build a new font a new look from scratch right and steve jobs this is paraphrasing but he says everything that we need to know about design and everything that's classical that's already in existence is enough for us to build on. So do you think that there really can truly be new? Or is it always just a reinterpretation of the past? I think it's a reinterpretation, definitely. Yeah. I think uh, it's really hard to come up with a out-of-the-blue sort of new idea. Because at the end of the day, if you go like uh, philosophical in life, mm -hmm. we're connected. We're made out of the same. We're all the same. We're all, we're all one, right? Yeah, right? So at the end of the day, the ideas and the thoughts and the flow are interconnect interconnected. Yeah, but I think uh, when when artists sort of start creating a new uh, movement or a new way within art, mm -hmm. like jumping from expressionism to cubism, mm -hmm. or from cubism to now contemporary art, like the currents have to do with an influence from the past. That's right, and right, right. And, and you can and it's totally uh, it's allowed. You know, like yeah, it's sure. good to get inspired if in everything in fashion in architecture mm -hmm. like you can look at what other people are doing that inspire you try to get what you like the most of it and try to put as we say in mexico tu propia salsa los tacos no? mm -hmm. like you you try to express it in your own way mm -hmm. but it can be inspired by others you and, I, I, and that I, makes it unique ex exactly and i think that's why tarantino has been so successful right because yeah. It's all the stuff that you, you basically can feed him anything, right? He distills it down into this thing that's still somehow new, even though it's all old, you know? And but there are musicians like that, and that happens quite a bit, this feedback loop of music. Now, like, I mean, we're roughly the same age. Have you seen, I don't know what like, fashion's like in Mexico City as of like, the past couple of years, but everybody's looking like they were on Saved by the Bell now. Ah, you see, see. The, the, the fashion and like the, the big Tom's not his head, like the hair stop, which I'm fine with, you know. I yeah. mean, that's a prepubescent kid in the fucking '90s, but it's, it just comes back around. Yes. I just didn't think I'd be long enough, like alive enough, to see that shit happen. Have you seen? But you're you're noticing it, right? Like the older you get, it's like, wait, isn't that a Roxy Music song, or like, isn't that a Zeppelin riff or something? You know? It yeah, everything back. sort of comes back right in time, you know? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Um. Yeah. I I. I I agree. I think uh, things happen for a reason, and things sometimes disappear for a second, but all of a sudden they manifest again. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool to see things coming back, and yeah. and they come back in your own, in its own particular way because yeah. it won't won't be exactly the same as Save of the Bell, no. But no, right. there's an inspiration on it, and I think at the same time we're going through times where more and more people are 
being free and open to be themselves. Not and that's not the case in every part of the world, right. luckily, uh, or in every country in every city. But I do believe that we're at a point in life where people are not really worrying that much about who they are, and they just want to be themselves and express themselves, and hopefully more of that gets to happen because we all, we so. should all be who whoever we want to be you know and yeah dress whatever we want to look like and do whatever as long as we don't have harm someone else right? yeah right i mean some art is so bad though that it does harm me i think <laughs> when I see it, it makes me wonder like this is really the path this person wants to go down that they don't seem to have really a knack for it all right so you're studying gdl studying architecture does it take do you finish and get an architecture degree you know i didn't finish school so i went through eight semesters architectural oh. school in mexico it's 10 semesters okay so i oh, jumped close i did eight um i had to to leave school because architecture is a career that demands a lot of time from you yeah and resources i didn't really have the resources to go through uh, my payments that's the reality oh, i see i see um so i had to work uh, while I was uh, in architectural school, I had to work to pay for for my tuition. And when I started working, I started doing good at what I, uh, at what was what I was doing, mm -hmm. and I was enjoying very much the projects that I was getting involved in. Order you, to what were you doing? Art. I was promoting. Oh, art. Okay, okay. So what happened was that while I was in architectural school, uh, I started seeing that a lot of my the students that mm -hmm. I was going to school with, friends of mine, a lot of them were artists. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they were in architectural school because not necessarily want, they wanted to be architects, but they loved art. And architecture seemed to be a good career to give a solid foundations in their careers. But a lot of them just wanted to be photographers or sculptors or painters mm -hmm. or performance artists. And I could see that it was really hard for them to get their work out there to be exhibit mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean at some every now and then at the university they would give us a space where we could throw a show and maybe your parents or some of other students from from the career would check it out but it was really really hard to get art into into the in, into the into the industry into yeah, the market because artists aren't business isn't very seldom you have that nice cross where they're business savvy and creative but really like from a marketing perspective artists don't know what to do with their stuff they just know to create the thing they just know how to create it yeah. and they don't know what and, and the thing is it's so hard to make a living being an artist mm -hmm. it's so hard to sell an art piece when you think about art it's something that it's not necessarily something you need I mean, you need, oh, good point. you need food, you need water. You well, need, you I, need, I think we all disagree that you do need art. But anyway, well, you're right. You're right. It's not a part of the triangle. It's, <laughs> it, it, I mean, you could, we could argue this, but I think uh, as a human being, obviously art is important and I can't see life without it. Yeah. And again, not necessarily an expression of contemporary art or, or any current of art. You can have nothing of that and just your life itself is a piece of art, yeah. you know? Ah, so, but what I'm trying to say when it comes to like a, a piece of art that you can see holding your hands or hanging a wall, not necessarily something that, that you need to have to survive, right? So in that sense, it just makes it really hard for emergent artists to get their work out there mm -hmm. because whoever's going to pay for your art, um, it's someone that has an additional sort of 
resource to pay for something that not necessarily might need to survive, right? Like right. it's not a survival thing. So it's just out of that, it's it's hard uh, to become an artist and to get it out there. But I was looking at all these friends that were doing amazing stuff, you know, like once again, paintings or graffitis or sculptures. And I, I would just look at their work and I'm like, guys, what are you doing with everything? Mm -hmm. Well, I have it at the studio. And, and when, when is going to be your art exhibition? Are you going to throw a show? They're like, dude, I don't, honestly don't even have, I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. I just got to figure out how to keep going through school. So I saw an opportunity and I said, like, what if I become a promoter mm -hmm. behind this artist? Mm -hmm. um, what if I try to throw a show for them? And I became sort of like the, the promoter behind it that finds the resources, the space, and that gets the funds from sponsors from other brands and try to get these guys that i am that i'm an admirer of to get to produce art to have a nice decent exhibition mm -hmm. and to try to sell their art and if i can do that that can be my business i can be sort of like a promoter gallerist for mm -hmm. my friends and they can sell their art make an income so that was like the first idea uh, on my career. You're, you're what, probably like early 20s when this happens? Mid -20s? Yes, uh, this happened when I was about 22 years old, 21, right, okay. 20 years old. Yeah. So you just got it. it. it like you kind of knew. I think uh, I've always had this bug inside me, mm -hmm. some sort of drive towards creating like a project. Like yes, I always, <laughs> I, I think I got that from my grandfather. My grandfather, uh, he's actually from Brownsville, Texas. No shit. Yeah. Rodolfo Champion. Yeah. They, they, they used to be Italian. Uh -huh. Their last name was Campioni. They migrated from Robinho di Istria, uh -huh. which is now uh, Croatia, but it used to be Italy. And they migrated in the first wo world war into South Padre Island, Port Isabel. No shit. And they changed to champion. Uh -huh. uh, the, the it's, last bigger, name. it's a bigger name. It's, there's no better person than the champion. Ah, thanks. See, see. But they're uh, comerciantes. Mm -hmm. So in their blood, uh, commerce, you know, like uh -huh. trading and entrepreneurial, and entrepreneurial sort of spirit. Yeah. So I think uh, I was lucky to inherit that from my grandpa. I always had that little bug again, like, what can I do and how can I create a, a project? And I need to get some resources in my pocket, but I just don't want to have a job and right. I want to do something that inspires me. So in art, I felt there was a, an opportunity there. What if I start supporting these buddies of mine and throw art exhibitions? So in Guadalajara, I created this project called uh, Incubadora de Arte Contemporáneo. Mm -hmm. It's an incubator for emergent contemporary artists. That's cool. I did it like for four or five years. Now it's Salon Acme. Uh -huh. uh, Salon Acme will have its 10th edition this upcoming February in Mexico City. And now it's the same project, uh -huh. but it has changed throughout the years because now it's it's not only me. Now it's a big collective of different artists that we put this together. There's, I mean, long story short, I'll, I'll tell you what Salon Acme is right now. But w when I moved to Mexico City, after doing these incubadoras. Like well. late 20s, right? 2008? Yeah, I moved to Mexico City in 2000, late 2007, okay. early 2008. Yeah. And when I moved out there. Why did you move, by the way? Well, I moved to Mexico City 
was I was in Guadalajara doing my yeah. art shows, uh -huh. incubadora, and I was getting sponsorships from brands. Oh shit! Yeah. What what, uh, what categories of brands? Like spirits. Spirits. Or food? Yeah, man. Oh, you uh, work for Vitamin Water. That's I, right. I worked yeah. for Vitamin Water. Yeah, yeah. So that's how Vitamin Water approached me, and that was that's her, uh, an interesting story because what happened was I was doing the art shows, and in order to sustain these art shows, I started knocking doors to brands. Mm -hmm. So actually, one of my business partners nowadays uh, in Mezcal Union, Toño Vilches, which I've known for more than 20 years, he was from Guadalajara, same town. And he moved to Mexico City uh, many years ago because he got hired by Pernod Ricardo, oh, okay. the spirits company. Mm -hmm. So he started like uh, growing his career um, from being, I believe, like an intern and then growing into like a brand manager and, and then looking after a certain portfolio. But he was one of my first buddies that got invited to move from Guadalajara to the major capital, Mexico City, I see. to work for this company. So he was in Mexico City. I was doing my art shows in, Me in Guadalajara, and I would call Toño and say, hey, Toño, this is my project, Incubadora. These are the artists. You know a lot of them. They're your friends because he's all from mm -hmm. Guadalajara. I'm doing this art exhibition at this really cool spot. Would you be interested in, in having your brands as part of the sponsors yeah, for the yeah. event and he was helping me he will help me like set up a, a nice bar and we would serve nice drinks and obviously that's revenue right like all those drinks yeah it's the necessary evil right yeah i mean it really you have to do that stuff in order it's it's the only way to empower those who because to your point you need well, yeah you need to make things happen and yeah. you need to look for the funds you need so so brands started sponsoring my events and that was my first connection to brands oh wow and then these events in Guadalajara became popular. The first event, maybe we had at the art exhibition, like 10 artists and maybe a hundred friends of ours showed up. But the vibe with a hundred people and art was really special, was yeah, really yeah. cool. So then the second grew a little more, the third grew a little more. So then brands got interested and they were like, I'll give you the beer, I'll give you the spirits. Yeah. And and it, it sort of got like another dimension. Mm -hmm. And because of that, at some point, uh, 2006, I believe, Coca-Cola Company decided uh, to acquire this brand called Vitamin Water, mm -hmm. which was started by Darius Bikov, a guy from Queens in New York. And he started off from scratch. Uh, the story is that this guy, like, he tried to create a couple brands before Vitamin Water. He wasn't successful. But at some point, he had like uh, the flu. Uh -huh. And oh, okay. <laughs> he, he wasn't feeling that good. And he sort of had like a lifestyle where he was in meditation, yoga. So he's like, I'm not feeling that good. He put um, a capsule of vitamin C in water, mm -hmm. in a bottle, went, had some yoga, felt a little better. And he had the idea, what if I do water with vitamins? Man. But instead of doing it like pharmaceutical, I'm going to put like a, a tone, special tone right, to it, right. more like more casual uh, not pharmaceutical, more like in the fun side of mm -hmm. things. He said, well, if vitamin C and water works out, what if I do uh, antioxidantes mm -hmm. and vitamin B? B12, B12. Nice and all that, yeah. So he came up with a portfolio that looked like a rainbow mm -hmm. and you could drink uh, the vitamin C during the morning and other vitamins during the, the late afternoon and just water with vitamins. And and this, this guy, uh, he builds his brand out of true passion for his own project, out of a backpack, going door to door around Queens, mm -hmm. uh, selecting, micro-targeting like 
this uh, grocery store, this yoga studio, and he was making friends one bottle at a time, one customer at a time. And Coca-Cola acquires this brand for $4.1 billion. So it was like a big news in the in the industry. It's Yeah, it's a lot of money. All right, all right look, look, a brief aside. <laughs> yeah. Do you see some, per some peripheral things here, some parallels to your story? I mean, I'm seeing some stuff that I'm not sure you... you I'm going to say it, right? Yeah. Des despite the Diageo acquisition, I say in air quotes, and I know yeah, you're yeah. working with Spirit Ventures. I actually had a couple of those meetings with them as well. And... But that's actually not the one that's really the, the thing. What I, it, it would occur to me very clearly. Yes. Artists, maybe not their best self-promoters, you know. Their work is great. Whiskey's art. It's, it's art, right? But what's more art than, than whiskey? Mezcal. Mezcalito, sí. And so, and we're, um, believe me, we'll, we'll, we'll get there in just a moment. But you went into... I think originally San Baltasar de Vila. Like originally, you know. Sí, San Baltasar de la Vila, Oaxaca. Maybe not expecting that you were going to be a promoter of art, but you did the same thing. It's exactly yes. the same. Do you ever think about it like that? I think uh, in life, um, I don't really like to think overthink things so too much. That's why I'm here. Actually, overthink yeah. for all three of us. <laughs> okay. That's a, that's no, no, no. no but I, what I'm saying, I'm, I'm, I've been guided a lot within my instinct and guts you know like mm -hmm. there's things that i feel things that make you feel uh, correct is the truth things that make you feel weird mm. might not be the truth mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. to put it in some sort of like, like wording that. yeah so in my the decisions that i've made throughout my life have been instinct and gut sort of common sense dream mm -hmm. like, instinct again yeah like does it make me feel good do I think I should go on this path? If I feel it, I do it. Yeah. And I just do it, and I do it the best I can. So you just the inner instinct, I'm going to keep using that word, that you have that guides your pen. Yes. The instinct that guides your career. Yes. Do you, can, is, that a, is, this a, is this a muscle that you can train? Is it something you're born with? Like I have it too, but it, it, I feel things... When it comes to women, I, I definitely don't have it, right? Like, I do the, all the wrong things all the time. All the time. Anyway, but that's... A, I think it's definitely a, something you can work on. Yeah. Definitely. Do you, do you uh, work on it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, as human beings, trying to understand the mind, mm -hmm. mind, body, soul, mm -hmm. and try to get a balance among that. I mean, we're all trying to have some sort of peace of mind, right? Yes. And in order to have peace of mind, you need to understand certain skills on how the brain works and how your mind works and why we act as we do and and try to be conscious of the steps we take in life and where they take you and mm -hmm. and and learn from it just from looking at how you react and how you develop but how yourself. do you what practice because there's you know mindfulness is very popular right now yes i think in even a couple of interviews that you've had you've talked about mindfulness yes but what does that mean in practice for you well for me what happened is uh i, I had a from an early age I've had a lot of anxiety. Uh -huh. It's something that I've, that I've dealt with. And this anxiety has given, given me a lot of tools in order to understand myself and, mm. and how to manage anxiety. I think seven out of 10 people in the world right now might have an anxiety disorder just because mm -hmm. the, the world we're living in. Yeah. So for me, growing up with anxiety as any other human, but anxiety was maybe a little bit extra on my end 
So it pushed me to to try to develop and create certain skills that will allow me to always be able to come back to a to a place of mm. comfort mm -hmm. and not of extreme anxiety yes. or worriness or overthinking stuff. And by, I mean, I learned this from having conversations with close friends of mine that I would tell them like express myself like oh you know man like I'm not having a good time I'm I'm having sort of this bad moment and this overthinking and I can't get myself out of those thoughts like and it could be my mom it could be a friend uh, but I also went to therapy and, mm -hmm. and discuss with with people that are professionals and that give you good skills and and how to sort of let the waters mellow and and be able to see through the the water and connect with who you are do you, do you think if you hadn't made an active effort to improve to change to understand yes that you would be where you are having a very successful mezcal brand galleria you can call it whatever but do, do you think you would have even been able to go in that direction had you not pursued what is ultimately mental health Yes, I think um, I think that if I wouldn't committed myself to make sure that I wanted to have a, a good, peaceful life, your mind can go nuts. And yeah, sure. and the thing is, any mind can go nuts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not necessarily that you have a mental uh, disorder, disorder yeah. or something. The mind itself, if you don't know how to manage it, mm -hmm. And you just let it go in any direction and, and you go over and over things. I mean, you can get lost. Yes. So it is important that the mind is well treated and that you are, it's like, a, it's a very superpower computer, you know, it, like it you can just press any bottom and see what happens. You got to know that if you do this, this happens. If you yeah. do that, that might happen. So. How so definitely, for me, it was very important to to have this sort of peace right. of mind. And by doing that, I think when... I, I remember one time speaking to this yoga uh, maestro de yoga, un maestro espiritual. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He, he gave me this example of the body, mind, and soul, right? So when when you look at a river, mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and, and, and the water is like all over the place, yeah, yeah. you can't see through it. Right, so mm -hmm. there's a lot of uncertainty. So when your mind has ton tons of noise and worriness, and you're going overthinking and this and that, and you're not getting anywhere, you can't see, you can't see through, and you can't connect with yourself. So underneath the water, like the final rock on the bottom, might be your soul, right? So it's, it's sort of like I don't know. I know, I know what you mean. How do you grasp it? Yeah. Well, you need the water to to mellow down, right? Mm -hmm. So I remember this guy telling me these like, man, I think the waters, your waters right now are just all over the place and you can't see through. And if, when you can't see through, you can sort of grasp yourself and you have that sort of certainty where, you're, where you feel comfortable. So why don't you try to have those waters mellow a little bit? Mm -hmm. And I learned how to do it. So I, I through meditation, through exercising, through... I think that the biggest skill that I've learned is when you're not feeling good and you're in your mind a lot, mm -hmm. it's it's not the right path. No. And if you go through that path, you might be miserable for a day, maybe a month, maybe a year. Yeah. It's all up to you. So for me, it was like, 
every time I felt I'm out of place, out of balance, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's something that I should watch out. I'm feeling it. If I feel I'm out of balance, I'm out of I'm out of tone. Yeah. Maybe I need to align the instrument. Is this sorry? Go ahead. Yeah. But it. how do you align the instrument? Yeah. Right? So for me, a very simple way of doing it is to try to get distracted and focus in something that takes you back to the present moment. Yes. And it's not necessarily meditation with your seat between your legs, and it's because that's really hard. Right. But I think right now we must be present here in this moment, right? Yes. And it's actually one of the reasons I do this and have this podcast is because I, I know my phone's blowing up. It always fucking blowing up, right? I'm sure yours is too. Is your, but like, <laughs> but this, we it must takes both, you right here. We must both be here. We must both. And, and it helps. Yeah, it totally Because right now, just the fact that you and I are right here and looking to each other's eyes yeah. and having this conversation, putting attention to it, commitment, it allows our minds to escape from a lot of things that we might be worried yesterday or right. today in the morning. And when you're able to achieve that, the water's sort of mellow. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you, you feel more certainty. Yes. It's like in the not understanding, there's an under, an un, more understanding. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it, it becomes much clearer. I, I think people are the answer for me, personally. Yeah. Uh, or, or manual labor, too, is good. You know, go out, harvest a piña, like that's something that you, it's you and nature. Like you kind of just have, I can't be thinking about something else because of machete, I'll chop my foot off or whatever, right? It's like, you just have to just be mindful in those moments. But I, much has been said about Mescalonion, right? Like this, your stories and I, because I always do research on all my guests, your story's been told, okay? Yes. And great Mescal and, you know, having Tom on the team and stuff, he's, Tomas Corner, the one I'm <laughs> That's right. He's been he's been moving and shaking and, and awesome with this thing for some time, you know. But I one thing that one point for me that I really thought was interesting, and actually I think maybe when I first heard this, Tom was doing a class at Las Perlas. I think everybody loves Tola. Right. Tola. Yeah. It's like they said, Oh, there's folk songs written about it and so much romance and God damn it, it's hard to grow. It only will grow on a rock on the side of the mountain. All this folklore, right? And then, I think it was you, Tom, but I'm almost positive. And I, I said, wait, so no one's growing it? Y'all are growing Tobala nurseries, yes. right? Well, in our case, uh, Mezcal Union and the team that started this team, we don't own distilleries, neither. Right, 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 right. We collaborate with farmers and producers. You're just the art promoter. I mean, I'm not, not to, not to I think, I think so, yeah. reduce I, it, but that's that's your role, I think, and I think you get that, right? Like, I think we're, we're definitely that. Yeah. We're promoters of mezcal. And, but at the same time, not only we promote it, but we support so that the atmosphere can actually uh, happen. You know, like mm -hmm. the producers that we team up with, a lot of them produce just a couple hundred liters a year. Two to five hundred liters a year, mm -hmm. and they're making delicious mezcal. Uh, so we do an investment so they can increase their production capacity, and we take them to two thousand, three thousand liters a month, and we support with the financial resources so they can improve their production capacity. We support by providing with uh, first quality of agave, mm -hmm. and the producer, by doing that, not necessarily has to worry about cash flow 
Now they can do what they love to do the most, which is transforming agave into mezcal, mm -hmm. creating mezcal artesanal. And then we also become the, the distributor. Yeah. We, oh, we yeah. put it on a backpack and we go door to door and we make sure we sell it. And we make sure we come back and buy more from them. And not only that, we make sure that we build a certain demand so that it's not only that first family, but more families can mm. come along. And similar on the agricultural side, uh, the farmers are people that have possession of land in Oaxaca. Mm -hmm. Some people have one acre, some people have three acres, some people have a little more. But what you see, the context of indigenous communities in Oaxaca is that it's a very rich culturally uh, territory, but not economically. Mm. Uh, it's hard for them to get resources, especially to to plant agave, because agave takes so many years to grow. Right. So you, when you plant agaves, you won't see any sort of return till the agave is ready mm -hmm. and mature in order to trans be transformed into mezcal. Or at some cases, they are able to sell the agaves when they're two, three years old. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily because they're going to harvest it, but we've made uh, negotiations where we can invest in agaves that are two, three years old, not necessarily the seed. Yeah. So different at different stages, but we not only just promote it; it's uh, we make sure that it's being put back into the ground, that we look after the future, that we make sure that the way this brand is growing is sustainable for the long term. Mm -hmm. So it's promoting, but also there's a, a back end where it's about making sure there's the proper foundation so that this can be something that's is sustainable yeah, it's in a, the long run it's a you know? it's an infrastructure honestly exactly you know with just different not moving pieces necessarily but different points in the infrastructure that all kind of making the same thing but maybe they're doing it different so you have to empower them something you know you all have been doing this thing for quite some time part of the og crew if you will you know with like sombras og and there's just a few like that how do you feel there's so many new mezcals yes Every day, man. And Tom and I talk about this, and it's just, it gets exhausting. How do you feel about what has been, it's not massive growth, it, it's it's calculated growth. It's like 33.5% year over year in terms of exported leaders or something. It's not like 200%, you know? But how do you feel about this category growing so much and so big? Yes. Well, I think uh, the first thing is, in, in our case, the reason why we jumped into Mezcal was because we felt... We wanted to be part of a project that represented the values of Mexico. Yeah. And that, like, how can you represent, not only represent, but actually taste the soil of Mexico and collaborate with indigenous communities? Mexico, once again, is a country that is very rich culturally, but very poor economically. And myself and the, my three other buddies that started this brand, we wanted to get behind the project that had that in the equation. It was like about having a purpose. Let's not just build a brand to build a business and hit the goals and whatever, mm -hmm. or revenue. It's like, let's build something that we're going to feel proud for the rest of our lives, that we did something meaningful with our lives. Yeah. And we felt mezcal was definitely something that attracted a lot of our attention. And going to Oaxaca and understanding the context of indigenous communities and the way they live, um, I mean, there are, there are, there is a lot of uh, lacks and needs in the Sierra of Oaxaca and mm -hmm. other indigenous 
towns across the state and other states that have the denomination of origin. So it's 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 something that it's sad to see, man. Like when you see families that need to migrate to another country uh, for surviving or new generations need to migrate to other cities, getting away from their parents. Um, when you see that in some cases crime is gaining a lot of power um, across different towns and, and areas across Mexico, it's it's really heartbreaking, mm -hmm. you know? So when I see Mezcal grow, I think as long as it's going to do good for the people, let it grow, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? As long as it's going to be good for the people and as long as it's going to be sustainable and as long as you're not affecting what makes it special, I think it should grow. You know, like right now, Oaxaca produces 90% of artisanal mezcal. Yeah. We collaborate with indirectly almost 200 people throughout nine different regions of Oaxaca. Mm -hmm. And 200 people is nothing from a population in the state oh, of Oaxaca, yeah, yeah. right? Like if, if we could try to get some opportunities and resources on the hands of a million people, mm -hmm. why not? You know? Yeah. You well, this, <laughs> but I think that that's yeah. I think that's all great. But I this word kind of comes to mind for you, and I kind of feel like you're a humanitarian. See, you know, because you're caring for other people that can't not not like a conquistador. You're not not trying to protect him. No, no, no. Just you fair just, business. Fair that's business. Right. Yeah. You, fair. Bring the art to the audiences. You know, be the connector. That's what I'm, the word I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah. The connector. You know. And I think that that's going to always suit you very well. And I, I know that I feel that similar kind of trait personally as a connector to try to bring people together, you know. And I mean, if, 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 the, if the case is like Mezcal is going to become these massive distilleries with high technology, no humans, uh, right. not necessarily humans, but the people that have inherited the knowledge, like these opportunities are not going to be for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the context of these people is that they're going to have to migrate to other countries, to other cities, looking for jobs that have nothing to do with their tradition. Yeah. But Mezcal is booming and growing. Definitely. I don't want to be part of that. Yes. And I don't think no one wants to be part of it. But I think if Mezcal as a category and more brands come along and they're looking after the farmers they collaborate with, the producers they collaborate with, they're looking for sustainability. They're putting the agaves back in the ground. They're looking after the wood they use, the water they use. And there's opportunity for the people that know how to do this. And it's good opportunities for them. I think it should grow. And why not? Yeah. But I, I, I think uh, anyone that is in this business of mezcal, I don't really believe there's someone in mezcal. Because whoever's jump, jumping into mezcal. Yeah. I would say nine, nine out of ten people that are into mezcal is because they're passionate about what mezcal is all about. Right. Yeah. It's about a millenary tradition. It's about the people, and it's about Mexico's culture. Mm -hmm. And it's about improving the lives of the people that know how to do this because they very well deserve it because they're craftsmanship. They're they got so much talent, so much to share, so much to express, and the terroir of Mexico and the origin of there's so much to it. That's what makes mezcal special. Right. Honestly, like, I, I know so many people that are behind brands of mezcal that that's what they're all about. 
Some people ask me, why, why are you better than any other mezcal? I'm like, we're not better than any other mezcal. We're just, we have our own way of looking at things, our own way of doing things. It's an artisanal product that works with this, this way with farmers and producers. But there's tons of other brands that I admire tremendously, you know? Yeah. Same, same. I look at Alipus, este, you know the guys yeah. from Alipus, yeah, sure. or, or Rey Camper, or Real yeah. Minero, um, Neta, and, and and those are like the 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 hidden gems because they produce a oh, uh, hundred bottles. Yeah, oh, and that's that's like going to the purism of mezcal, you know? Yeah, well, I, I love Max and Nicky. They're they're good. They're awesome. Great, great. El cinco sentidos yeah, and, Jason, and everything right? that I'm seeing, like even yeah, the stuff. Yeah, all the yeah. stuff on my basically all the stuff I've got that's on. But like show. you got uh, you got there uh, Del Maguey, for instance. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm a huge admirer of, of Del Maguey. Man. Yeah, I mean Ron Cooper did a lot of the grassroots for our new generations like us. Uh, mm -hmm. Even he's not from Mexico, but he did the grassroots for this category. Uh -huh. You know how much uh, revenue and economy this guy developed in Oaxaca? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Fascinating. It's fascinating. So. I think most of the brands that you see out there, that's that's what they have behind. That's what they're looking after and that's what they're trying to achieve. But definitely there's other companies that might see Mezcal as the next ultra-growing category and want to go industrial. And it's not about the terroir. It's not about the people. It's not about the environment. It's not about the tradition. Yeah. Well, that itself is not Mezcal, you know? Right. <laughs> so... I got two questions left for you, and then we're yeah. gonna go. You know, this is the first time I've had a podcast guest, and Tom. We're going in the kitchen. We're gonna go cook together. <laughs> nice, nice, so nice. We, we come from a different industry. But I actually did do bit of cooking. But all right, because we're talking about art, I want to talk painters. And yes. so, let's say you're anywhere in the world drinking El Viejo, yes, with any painter, living or deceased, and you just want to sit. Sip Mascal and have a conversation with who might that be? Yeah, I think uh, Jean Michel Jean Michel Basquiat. Basquiat, yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, Brooklyn, uh, it's very special. Yeah. Well, vitamin water piece too, right? Well, uh, vitamin water, but I, it wasn't really about vitamin water. I never really correlated until oh, now. Okay. But for me, Brooklyn's really special because it's uh, it's our biggest market for Mezcal Union. Oh, I didn't know that. It's one of the cities that I felt. And Austin as well. Yeah. It's Austin and Brooklyn, the first two cities that we launched away from Mexico. So the love that I have for Austin and Brooklyn is like, I'm, it's forever. You yeah. know? Like the first two cities outside my, my, my country that opened the doors for Mezcal Union. I've made tons of friends uh, like Tom that mm -hmm. we've been working for years now. Uh, but Brooklyn for me, it's very very special and and he's from brooklyn yeah oh yeah and what what is it about brooklyn well brooklyn is a place where people from all over the world live it's so diverse mm -hmm. and it's a a place where two of the things that i love the most three of the things that i love the most you see it every day mm -hmm. skateboarding basketball art graffiti yeah and so for me uh, Basquiat and the pop art movement, mm -hmm. Andy Warhol, like those guys are really, really inspiring for me because I think uh, they were able to plasm art in a way that was completely out of the traditional art, mm -hmm. you know, like from Impressionism and breaking the mold. And they broke the mold. It's like 
it's sort of like punk you mm -hmm. know in many ways oh, yeah, yeah so i think those guys uh were able to transmit the american world culture in a very contemporary way breaking all the boundaries yeah. and being themselves and not caring about what someone would think who gives a fuck what or, anyone else thinks right yeah even like basquiat would paint on, on the door of a refrigerator mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. he would grab garbage and out of garbage he would do amazing art must create so yeah if, if i had had the opportunity to sit down with a couple painters artists and and have some mezcal union basquiat warhol would, would be definitely two that i would have loved to. I'm, I'm i'm learning a lot here tom you learn a lot here Good. Actually, Great. there's there's this one restaurant in, in New York City called The Odeon in Tribeca. Why do I know of this place? And I it's it's a it's a it's a diner. Yeah. But I've heard of this. Yeah. It's very well known. These two guys used to sit at, at one table. So I'm such a big fan that I've actually went there and asked for the table. Like where yeah. where did these guys used to sit and sit no, there and I could feel it, you know, like I, I felt like I was there yeah. having a mezcalito but not with them, but yeah. they were at some years back sitting right there. That's that's super, that's really cool. All right, so yeah. last question for yeah. you. You've been in Texas for a little while now. Yes. I hear you're leaving next week. Actually, I can't recall. Times, I don't get time Wednesday, anymore. San Antonio, then Dallas, then Houston. Do you enjoy being in Texas? Very much. Very much, yeah. I, I was saying that my grandfather. Oh, uh, Brownsville, yeah. From Brownsville. So growing up. My mom and dad would, and my two brothers, we would jump into a, a van mm -hmm. at 3 a.m. in the morning in Guadalajara mm -hmm. and drive all the way to through Matamoros to Brownsville, Texas. No way. So those were my first sort of like family vacations. And it was coming to Texas. And I remember crossing the, the bridge into the USA and getting into Texas. And just the smell of, it's different. Uh -huh, like once uh -huh. you get into Texas, there's a smell on the streets. There's like the, the heat, yeah. the, the weather. So for me, it was really, really inspiring growing up and having the opportunity to come to Texas. And it's where my grandpa is. So it's really special for me. There's a lot of nostalgia. Yeah. As I'm driving in the highways, I remember growing up, my dad driving those highways. And again, like I remember when we launched Mezcal Union here and we have friends that has, are still supporting us since that day. Um, liquor stores, restaurants, bars, mm. people that have become my best friends now. That's amazing. So when I come to Texas, when I come to Austin, I feel in Second many ways home. like home yeah. and Brooklyn as well. And that's, that's I, I think, the, the, the biggest thing that, or the biggest gift that life has given me. Being in Mezcal is making friends and being able to to share this with others right? that's right it's the greatest gift this industry to be honest the community the know? community and i guess that's a good prelogue to us having a nice tasting together this evening with a bunch of folks and it shows you what community is all about when it comes to agave so alejandro gracias yes dude great great to meet you thanks for chatting no, great, the great we'll... great chatting with you man i love this uh conversation thank yeah, you cheers. likewise we'll talk soon yeah yes thank gracias you. Well, there we have it, Alejandro Champion, one of the founders of Union Mezcal. If you don't see the direct ties between event coordinating and working with artists to share their work and providing a space for them or a canvas for them and Union Mezcal, like, is there no more common underlying thread there? And that was something that became really clear. I was kind of un 
clear, I think, about the brand itself. I'd been to San Baltasar Guelavila and visited one of the producers that I think they used to make mezcal for Union, but it's it was confusing, and I think Alejandro did a really good job of helping us kind of understand more what the, the motivations are, what the core tenets and ethics are of the brands. And drinking mezcal, that brings us together. You know, you can say what you want about sustainability or big brands and all of that, and that's all fine. But until you start really asking the questions and understanding the people, you get less of a sense of what's really going on. So amazing night eating some of the best tacos I've had, drinking some amazing mezcal, and really doesn't get much better than that. And it was the series finale of Better Call Saul that night too, which was actually kind of emotional. So again, thanks to Tom Kerner for doing the intro, sitting in one of the few times someone sat into the conversation. It gets to be a fly on the wall. And thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. It's been the holiday season. Been very, very busy working on lots of things. So I'm going to get these episodes out. I promise you. So no matter how many seasons of Chopped you've been watching since 2009, if you're thinking, I've got today off, what am I going to do with the rest of my afternoon? Please keep dancing. <laughs>